On Instacart, I can shop a huge selection of pet supplies, from that one brush that scratches him just right, to that extra comfy bed he can't wait to flop down in. And I get everything delivered right to my door in as fast as one hour. Okay, 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 settle down. I know it's here. Yeah, it's very exciting. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get a free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast. Covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about the 17th anniversary of Syracuse winning the national championship and a big weekend in basketball recruiting. I'm Wes Jang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest today is the Juice Online senior college basketball analyst and 2003 national champion, Andrew Cowie. Andrew, what's going on? Wes, how are you doing today? Good, Andrew. And this is an auspicious week for Syracuse basketball. It's hard to imagine, but 17 years ago, we were all in New Orleans and you guys won the national championship. I think the most iconic moment from that game is Hakeem Works block of Michael Lee with 1.5 seconds left. You were obviously on the bench. You had a great view of it. Walk me through the block as you saw it through your own eyes. You know, it's interesting. Uh, obviously, that is an iconic moment. I, and I always kind of joke around with, with Hack about, you know, that, that might be a statue. We, we might need to get a statue for you outside the carrier dome for that, for that block. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think really the focus always was, from my perspective, was we're always concerned with Heinrich, right? Really, the previous play before that, he had a he had a three at the top of the key that went in and out. I mean, it, it looked good, and Hakeem got the really great rebound. Um, so when that play was developing, you could see it developing for Heinrich and he got, he got the ball kind of not top of the key, but just off to the side and quest did a great job of kind of getting out there, which then Heinrich made the right move, uh, is passing into the corner. Um, and then Hakeem just kind of used his, his quickness and length to, uh, to get that. I mean, I don't think it really, we saw the block coming because Hakeem just came from so far. Your eyes are kind of focused on, on Lee, is he going to get, you know, how quick is he get the shots and get it up before enough time? And then out of nowhere, you see Hakeem just kind of use those go-go gadget arms and, t- and, and get the block. Um, you know, I still joke about it with him all the time is that, you know, he wasn't, you know, d- during the year, he wasn't known for the best, uh, you know, uh, bottom of the zone defender in terms of coming out the three-point shooters. I used to joke with him during practice. I, I would always say I want to be on Hakeem's side because I want to get as many threes up as I, as I can get. So um, it's just kind of <laughs> funny how that turns out where um, he makes such an um, impressive and an important defensive play. Andrew, one of the more underrated things was the lineup that was on the floor at the time. Coach Beheim subbed out Jerry McNamara and Craig Forth and put in our, our great friend Josh Pace, who was on the podcast last week, and Billy Edelin. You had a lineup that was long and agile, and that allowed work to get out from the center position and make that play. To me, Beheim should get more credit for his coaching there. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, that's where I think Beheim is one of the best in terms of in-game coaching, uh, especially in terms of reading situations, reading matchups, and just kind of staying cool um, and, and just realizing I got to have this personality versus that, you know, you know, Jerry is obviously known for being a great offensive player and is also, you know, was good defensive player in terms of zone and especially kind of, uh, you know, getting steals maybe if the ball gets into the center and kind of turning and, and, and kind of poking it from behind. But 
you know, in terms of we know we're up by three, they need to get a three, so let's have the longest team out there. And, and when you think about Josh at 6'5", and Billy at 6'2", 6'3", and then Hakeem, Mello, and all those guys, that's a really long uh, team. And so you can really spread out and also athletic teams. So can run out to shooters and chase shooters because if they drive it to the lane, that's fine with us because there's so little time. Um, so it, it's just, you know, Beheim, uh, you know, one of the things that I was always impressed with throughout uh, my time is there is, is him, his just ability to read the game during the game. I think that's um, something that um, it's just kind of an, that awareness that, that he has a special quality of. Andrew, that block was iconic, but it wasn't the end of the game. There's 1.5 seconds left. There's some sort of stoppage of play or a timeout. What's Beheim going over in the huddle? So, yeah, so not only did you have um, – there wasn't really a timeout. It was really, I think, a stoppage of time because they were trying to figure out how much time was left on the clock um, in terms of when the ball went out. So, really, he was just kind of gathering those guys, and, and he wasn't saying a lot. It was more of just, you know, get, get out to the shooters, really. I mean, I think everyone kind of knew what the um, plan was in terms of you, you just get out to all shooters. There's no close out and don't foul. So, um, you know, that was really the big thing. And, and obviously the focus was always going to be on Heinrich because he's a, he's their best shooter and, and, um, you know, one of their best players. So, you know, looking back on that play, um, his ability, you know, Heinrich gets it. And there's like three, there's like Melo, Hakeem and Quest, I think around him and just the ability for Heinrich to get that shot off was impressive on its own. Um, thankfully it was pretty clear that, uh, you know, when he shot it, that it was going to be wide. So it, when I was looking at it, it wasn't like um, I didn't see it. It's like, oh, my God, that looks like it's going in, at least from my angle. And then it was just a matter of waiting to hear that buzzer sound because once that buzzer sound, it was it was pure uh, mayhem. Yeah, let's talk about that mayhem then. We see as the crowd what happens on the court, but once you're inside the locker room, we can't see what's going on. So what happens afterward? Yeah, it was pretty – I mean, we're out on the court for a while, right, because you have the one shiny moment and you have the presentation of the trophy and you have the interview of, uh, you know, Nance and Bayheim and all that. So we're out on the court for a good – feels like – if you know, felt like an hour, but probably only maybe 15, 20 minutes. And then as we go back in the locker room, um, you know, on that kind of whiteboard where, where he – Beheim usually has his notes, you know, there's written, someone wrote on there saying, you know, 2003 national champion. And then we all kind of sit in our seats, uh, you know, like we would normally after a game. And he's kind of, um, you know, where he would talk to us and he's got, he's got the box sheet uh, in his hand, you know, looking over like he normally does of, of, you know, that has all the stats and, and in a normal game, he would kind of probably talk to us about, what we did well, or, you know, we, we got to get better in this area. We got out rebounded or so forth, but he's just like pacing back and forth right in front of us and not saying a word. And then we started looking at each other, like, is he going to say something? And I think Beheim really was just kind of like, just was just almost in shocker in the clouds of like this, this happened, this finally happened. And there was this moment, it was just silence of, of nothing and then, and then eventually he, he, you know, he started kind of going into, um, you know, just how grateful he was and thankful for everyone, you know, everyone, the whole staff and the whole um, players from from Bello to to everyone in terms of just their effort throughout the whole year. But it was it was pretty interesting to go that kind of like awkward couple of minutes in the beginning where he just didn't say anything because I think he was really just gathering his thoughts or just couldn't believe that this moment had finally happened. Um, and then when he went 
um, with that, you know, just kind of thanking everyone and appreciative and, and what a great year it was. And, and then we, we broke into a quick little huddle and say, you know, and then one, two, three national champions. And then, then kind of the fun started with all the pictures. We're all taking pictures of the trophy. And then we had the uh, athletic director come into the, uh, into the locker room and we're all kind of screaming at him saying, Hey, we want, we want real diamonds in the ring. We don't want any CZ. We want the real stuff. So it was, that became uh, a pretty, a pretty fun atmosphere. Wow. Thanks for taking us through that, Andrew. What an amazing time in Syracuse basketball history. I just can't believe it's been 17 years since it happened. Yeah, no, it's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, I would, I would, one thing I would let all Cuse fans know is that, um, you know, Facebook Live did a pretty awesome um, kind of uh, just talk about the game. It was Bayheim and Mello and Akeem and Josh and really most of the team coming in and out of the hole when, when CBS was replaying the game. And you can still go back on Facebook Live and watch that kind of two-hour presentation. And it's pretty remarkable, I think, for Cuse fans to get a little in-depth look of how the team really was. Because at one point, there's about eight or ten of us on there talking and it comes to a point where we even stop talking about the game and what's happening in the game and really just started talking about amongst ourselves and stories and so forth. And you get to see a real glimpse of what I don't think many fans see is the personality of the team and the fun nature because we're, we're ribbing each other, we're making fun of each other. And that's what kind of the kind of personality we had on the team. Everyone was just a fun, enjoyed life. Like there wasn't a lot, there wasn't really much fighting going on. It was, it was just a fun team. And I would just, uh, I would let every Keith fan know to go on Facebook. I think it's under Syracuse Orange. And uh, you can kind of replay that. And it's, it's really two hours of really unique uh, in-depth on that national championship team. Andrew, that was awesome. Thanks for rehashing everything with us. Again, 2003 national champion and the Juice Online senior college basketball analyst, Andrew Cowie. Andrew, maybe we'll do this again next year. <laughs> yeah, sounds good to us. Have a good one. Great stories from the 2003 National Championship game from Andrew. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, we're still in the thick of the COVID crisis, but there's still plenty going on in the Syracuse basketball world. Over the weekend, Syracuse got a commitment from Alan Griffin. Different spelling, but the name that Syracuse fans should all be familiar with. He's a scoring wing with plenty of shooting range and athleticism, a similar skill set to Elijah Hughes, who declared for the NBA draft in March. Brad, how big of a get is this for the Orange, given the state of their roster right now? Wes, it's a huge get, and I agree with your comparison to Elijah Hughes in, in watching uh, some of the highlights of Alan Griffin's play with Illinois this past season. And as I wrote about this week, it, it is, as you mentioned, the second Helen Griffin in SU program history. And I was kind of intrigued. You know, were there same names in, in, in the 116 years, 117th season of Syracuse basketball this past year? And amazing to find only one other set, Vinnie Cohen Sr. and Vinnie Cohen Jr. I thought that was kind of amazing. But welcome, Alan Griffin, to the Syracuse basketball program. And, boy, can he shoot. I, I love his shooting form. And, you know, is there going to be enough basketballs to go around with Joe Girard and Buddy Bayheim and now Alan Griffin shooting from three-point range? Love his athleticism. Love his ability around the hoop. He, he can get up. He can dunk. He can block shots. This is a really important addition to the Syracuse basketball program, Wes. And even more important is what's going to happen in June 
when the NCAA Division I Council votes on changing the transfer rule. And I've got a feeling they're going to change it, meaning that players like Alan Griffin are going to become immediately eligible, and he's going to be able to play for Syracuse when the next college basketball season gets underway. And that in itself is just amazing. It's going to be such a paradigm change in the sport. And you may remember a couple of years ago when Jim Beheim was first asked about this, he said it was going to create total chaos if players were able to be able to go into a transfer portal and then be eligible for another program the next season. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And it's just kind of the evolution of the sport, Wes. It's, it's such big business. Uh, the best players are prepping one year then to play professionally, preferably, of course, in the NBA or abroad. And I just think this is where the sport's going. And uh, it's certainly just a, a, a paradigm change, as I said, in, in what's going to happen. And the big programs are going to benefit because they're going to look at recruiting from a different perspective now. The three- or four-year player who can come in for two or grad transfer which has you know, already been happening for a couple of seasons, but who can come in and really fit into the program? And that, I think, is really the key for Alan Griffin is he met with the Syracuse coaches. They analyzed his game. They said what they were looking for in a player of his position, and I think he fits in perfectly uh, in, in Syracuse's offense and also in the 2-3 zone. Brad, let's talk about the other transfer Syracuse was pursuing, grad transfer Patrick Tepay. Let's go over this strange timeline. Syracuse, Maryland, USC, Duke were all after Tepay. He commits to Duke on March 24. Then on April 3rd, he decommits from Duke, reopens his recruitment. Syracuse and Georgetown are now among the finalists for his services. So Syracuse being a two-time finalist. Then on Sunday, April 5, Patrick Tepay recommits to Duke. Brad, you've been around Syracuse Athletics for six different decades now. Have you ever seen a recruitment as strange as the one we just saw with Patrick Tepay, where Syracuse was the finalist for the same recruit twice? I, I really can't, Wes. And I, and I think it goes back to what I was alluding to in this whole change in how college basketball is, is turning out with recruitment, because this is now late stage recruitment. And you're talking about Duke, Syracuse. Georgetown, I mean, you know, big-name programs in that regard. And is it really any different when Syracuse is going after a Claude Green, you know, back when he's being recruited out of Philadelphia as a scholastic star and it's coming down to Syracuse and Kentucky? Is it really any different than the Isaiah Stewart recruitment out of Rochester when it's coming down to Syracuse and Washington? So is it any different with Patrick Depay, these kids are changing their minds all the time. Mike Krzyzewski's involved at the other end. That's a lot of competition. So, no, I haven't to answer your question. And I, and I was thinking back into how this whole retransfer and uh, players, you know, leaving Syracuse, coming to Syracuse. I go all the way back to Leo Rountons was a transfer into Jim Beheim's program after a freshman season at Minnesota. Uh, Wesley Johnson then came in in the 2000s as a transfer from Iowa State. Syracuse program was shocked in the, in the late 80s, 1990, when Matt Rowe left the program after three seasons to transfer to Maryland. That was kind of a head-scratcher, I guess, maybe kind of compares to Patrick Tepe because here was Matt Rowe, a local star at Fayetteville Manlius, and 
He had a key role on the Syracuse team post 87, you know, championship game appearance. So maybe that, that would be one, but it, it's just changed. It's, and it's going to change when this, the, the division one council votes Wes. And I think you're going to see now players are going to put themselves to be in the best position for their future. If they're going to look to be professionals and they're going to be in the best program with the best coaching staff and best system that makes their game stand out. And Brad, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. I'm starting to get worried about college football starting on time, Wes, and the dates are coming up fast and furious. The first summer semester at the Syracuse for Syracuse is coming up in mid-May. Very unlikely that there'll be students back on campus. And of course, that means there would be no football players back on campus. So keeping an eye on what's going to happen for college football in 2020. There's talk about the biggest program saying, well, we need the revenue that comes along with playing the home games. So teams and programs are talking about maybe having to move games into the spring of 2021. With all the uncertainty about this, I think one thing is going to likely happen. There's going to be some sort of changes to how football may be played in the future. If indeed we have no season or only a partial season in the fall, and if indeed big programs see a need to have games moved into the spring of 2021, does that mean in the future we'll see some more formalized football, college football in the spring? I mean, these kind of questions obviously are a long ways off, but there are things to think about and ponder as we're in these unprecedented times and the dates are moving up fast as to whether or not we'll have a college football season that gets off on time in late August, early September. Brad, my closing thoughts are on former Syracuse defensive end Chandler Jones, who is one of 52 players selected to the NFL's all-decade team this week. Jones left Syracuse after the 2011 season. He was a first-round selection by the New England Patriots, and all he's done since then is record more sacks, 96, and force more fumbles, 27, than anyone else in the NFL. He's been a three-time Pro Bowl selection, a two-time All-Pro honoree. Congratulations to Jones for all he's achieved so far. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that thinking in absolutes is always a mistake sometimes. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community 
of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.